welcome back to day two of our season reviews. First up with us is Jake Jackman, uh, who represents Newcastle on our podcast, also writes for Total Dutch Football and EPL Index as well. Jake, we'll just start off with the simple stuff. What's your review of the 2015-16 season? Yeah, it was a it was a pretty bad season, which has ended enough being relegated. Completely deserved, I think. So we got relegated, so it was a, a disappointing season. Uh, we started the season with Steve McLaren as an appointment, which at the time I thought w- was a good move. But I then think now, looking back in hindsight, I think that was purely because it wasn't Alan Pardew or John Carver. So it, I thought it would be a lot better. And I thought the, the things he'd done at Derby and his experience in European football would also you know, come in, come in handy. And he, he'd really attack an, another chance in the Premier League, which just didn't happen. And it just turned out that the job was too big for him. The players didn't respond to him. And yeah, he, he, he led us to relegation. But uh, looking at the signings we made as well, good signings. I mean, at the start of the season, a lot, a lot of people were tipping us for European football, a top half finish because we'd brought in players that had a big reputation in Europe. Uh, Wijnaldum in particular, he's a, seen as a Champions League player when we got him. He settled in really well, scored a few goals in, in, in his first few months. And I, th- I think people really thought he would push on and become a top... As, at least a second tier player in the league, but that didn't happen either. Mitrovic turned out to be a bit of a hothead to say the least. He's very inconsistent, <laughs> can't really finish and gets sent off a lot as we've seen twice with two red cards. And, and the one ye- yesterday was particularly awful. And uh, he, he's, he's very talented. The ball was right there. He could have just I gone know. for the ball. I think he wanted to get sent off. It was, it was that bad. I think that sort of glare at the referee as well. It was just, I think he wanted to get sent off. And that's an area of his game he's going to have to improve on. And that's why I think he's probably going to stay at the club. I don't think any clubs really take a risk on him. And I think he needs to sort of curb his, his aggression. And I think if, if Rafa does stay, he'd be, he'd be perfect for that in, in getting the best out of Mitrovic. But uh, the other signings, Florian Tovan, who's sort of a forgotten man now. He didn't do a lot. He was, The Premier League seemed to be too much for him. He was a bit too lightweight. He got pushed off the ball too easily and didn't get many chances, to be fair to him. I think McLaren sort of preferred to go for people like Goufran and Overtown over him, which at the time I I didn't agree with and I still don't really agree with now. I think he he should have been given more of a chance, but he's gone back to Marseille, which just shows the poor running of the club because we we gave Marseille, I think, 13 million and Remy Cabela on loan. For Tovan, only to loan Tovan back six months later, which leaves us thirty million down and two players at their club. So that was just shows again the the, the lack of direction at the, the top of the club. Other signings we made and Bemba, he he's sort of solid. Nothing to really say about him. He's he's been all right. He's nothing spectacular. Not awful. Makes a few mistakes, but again, he he hasn't really developed into the centre back we needed. Um, so it was a. There's a lot of positivity at the start of the season with the players we brought in. We thought Sissoko would push on, Yamat would have a, a solid second season. And we, we felt we had a, a decent team to sort of attack the top eight. I mean, look, looking back now, it's laughable that our target was a top eight and a trophy. We didn't get close to either. And it's, but I think it was just years in, years in, the, in, in the running this season. It, the, the lack of direction, the poor transfer strategy, uh, very poor managerial appointments. Um, the people running the club are sort of don't know that much about football and that's really showed. I think we thought we could we could spend sort of 50, 60 million, get the team back back into mid-table and sort of stay there for the foreseeable future. And that just that hasn't happened. Um 
in the cups, we we did nothing. We went out early in both cups, despite putting out strong teams. Uh, in the derbies, we did we did poorly again. It's just been a really really poor season. There hasn't been many ups for us. Um, it, the inconsistency just just has shown how poor sort of our squad is, and sort of how the, they can turn it on when they want to, and that's not that's not what we want at Newcastle. We want a squad of players that try really hard, which is why people like Darlow and Lasales and Paul Dummer and Jack Colbeck they're really they're really well liked by the supporters because they give everything all the time. And you you know you can rely on them, whereas Sissoko, Wijnaldum, they sort of turn it on when they want to, and that has really resulted in our relegation because we played poorly in a lot of games that we shouldn't have done. And it's, it's I just don't understand how we've done so poorly. Even, even with McLaren, it, his tactics weren't great, but we drew to Aston Villa. We drew, we've drawn twice to Aston Villa this season. We're the only team in the league not to beat Aston Villa. But at the same time, we're the only team to do the double over Tottenham, which sort of shows how the players do turn it on when they want to against the bigger clubs and how how they sort of think they can walk through the smaller games and, and get the points, which you just can't do in the Premier League. And we, we've really suffered for that. And we've taken a huge backward step. There has been some positivity. I think in January, the, the, the fans really got on board with the signings we made. We thought bringing in English players would really help. And uh, the amount of money spent sort of showed that Mike Ashley was really uh, interested in getting the club into the top 10 and really pushing on the club uh, John Joe Shelby is a particularly good pickup at the time. I thought, I thought he'd really settle in and sort of take the Johan Kabay mantle that we we haven't had since the Frenchman left. But he he had a good start, played some really good Hollywood balls that sort of looked good on match of the day. But since then, he's he's dropped out. His, his attitude has been poor. He's got the captaincy for a little bit, and in that period, we really we played poorly and we dropped points against crucial teams like the Norwich game when we lost three two, the Derby. It was. Just, he was not leadership material, and it sort of showed the, the flaws in Steve McLaren's game plan. He sort of giving the captaincy to him, a, a new signing, that's not going to go down well in the dressing room, but he's not really captaincy material. And it just sort of showed that he wanted to get, get the English guys on side. And it's, I don't know why he made that decision. It was laughable, as was the decision to keep Colaccini as captain at the start of the season. It was, it's been clear to everyone that Colaccini is not a captain. He's not very vocal, and and deciding to keep him as captain was was again an awful decision by McLaren. He made two poor captaincy decisions, and both of them played a massive role in us going down. Uh, the other signs we made in January, Townsend, he's been really good. Got got back into the England team. I'd really like to see him stay at the club, but that that, that seems unlikely given his release clause and and the form he showed. And if he he does go to the Euros and have a good tournament, I think there'll be a lot of Premier League clubs looking at him. Uh, Sedu Dumbia has done nothing. Just been an overweight yeah, sort what of a fifty year old footballer. We did it again. We did it last season. We signed Facundo Ferreira, who never played for the club, and now he's sort of leading the line for Shakhtar Donetsk in 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 the semi-finals of the champ and of the Europa League. So I, I don't know why we sign these strikers. Whether it's sort of to do with our connections with agents, or we have to take them, or or, or why we do it. Because we just if we have no interest in playing them, it's no point bringing them in. Um, who else did we sign in January? I've completely forgot. I'm pretty sure. This- oh yeah, Henry Saiver. Yeah, Saiver. Yeah, he he he's again the reports have been he's been awful in training. Uh, both McLaren or Benitez haven't fancied him, and it's, it's another sort of poor signing from the French league. And it, again, shows the flaws in our transfer system and our recruitment and our scouts. We're just signing these players, and we have no idea if they're suited to the Premier League. And it's, again, that's 
and looking at our squad now, it's no no wonder we've gone down. The, the players we signed, the, the poor characters, we've got no real leaders, and it's just been really disappointing. In, in January, we need to sign one striker, and I said all January, if we got Lloyd Remy on loan, we'd stay in the Premier League, and we just failed to get that striker, and the lack of goals since has proven that I was probably right at the time that we needed to get one in. Uh, but there was hope at towards the end of the season after we uh, appointed Rafa Benitez as manager. Quite a quite a fall from grace from him. For, for sort of in, in the media, uh, people said he's gone from Real Madrid to a relegation battle for Newcastle. But I think Rafa sees the potential in the club. He thought he could keep us up, and I think if there if there we had one or two more games, or uh, there was another team down there with us and Sunderland and Norwich, we would have got out of it. But it just turns out there was a lack of games and that there was only one spot to take and Sunderland played really well to take that spot. And we've we, we sadly gone down as a result. But I think Rafa, he's, he's really got the squad playing well. He's got the best, most out of that squad. We, we're unbeaten in six games at the end of the season. He's sort of added to that defensive. He's really made us solid at the back. He's got players like Sissoko playing really well. The decision to give him the captaincy... I thought was was odd at the time. I thought he wasn't really a leader, but it t- turns out he's he's really upped his game since that, and it's really just galvanised him and sent him to the Euros in really good form for France, which just shows that Benitez knows what he needs in his team, and he knows what he needs in a captain. He knows how to set up a team, and the way he walks through the team on the sideline during matches uh, is really important. We've lacked game management. We often give away goals uh, late in the game we often give away goals from set pieces but Benitez really just walks the team through on the sideline tells people exactly where to stand exactly where to put the ball and that that's really been important in tr- trying to in getting those points towards the end of the season so I really hope Benitez stays uh, I think you saw on the last day of the season I don't think you'd, you'd ever see another relegated team fill their stadium Fans be jubilant throughout, sort of chanting for the manager to stay. No, it would have been easy for them to turn on Ashley, turn on the players, but they didn't do that. They applauded the players, sort of. And I, I think that it was a real, you know, sign of hope yesterday. The supporters getting back on board with the club, really wanted Benitez to stay. And I, I think if Benitez does stay, even though we've dropped out of the league, I think it'll be a step forward in the long term. I think he can really build us into some a, a real force over four or five years. And if he if he stays, I think we're going to come straight back up. I, I, I can't see us not doing that. Yeah, we've been asking everybody how they feel about their managers. You just told us. Um, with a yes or no, do you think he'll be back next year? It's it's difficult. The room, the, the noise is coming out of the sort of the journalists, the people close to the club are that. He, he is open to staying. He wants to stay if he's given certain assurances about being in control of recruitment, money being there to, to strengthen the squad, being able to have a complete overhaul of the academy and the coaching staff. And these, and these are things that Mike Ashley and Lee Charnley do not want. Like They've not wanted to give these to managers. They, they've had their, their plan for about three or four years now, and they've wanted to stick to it. But I think I think after seeing the fans yesterday, the sort of the reaction that... The, the effect that Benitez has had, they'd, they'd be foolish not to give him these assurances because although it'd be a, a short-term spend, a lot of money going into Benitez w- with his contract and the, the, the players he wants, it would be a long-term gain and sort of solidifying us as a Premier League club and I think they really need to do that. At the moment, I'd say 70-30 that he stays. It seems that talks are going, going positively but you just never know what offers he might get or what Mike Ashley might do because he's always prone to doing something ridiculous looking at the short-term cheap option. So I'd, I'd say 70-30 right now. I'm fairly confident he stays but you just never know with Newcastle. Alright, and obviously it wasn't the most exciting season, well, in a positive way, 
uh, for Newcastle. But if there was one moment of the season for Newcastle this year, what would it be? I think it probably has to be it has to be yesterday. Mm. I think it's the first time we that the fans have engaged in the club. We felt real hope that we that the club we support can push on and become, become a top club again. Uh, and obviously the performance as well that against Tottenham, you know, being one of the best teams in the league this year and we we dismantled them easily. It was sort of, it was frustrating in the way fact that you know we haven't played like that all season and we, we could have and if we had we'd be comfortable in the table but it's sort of the sign of hope, but I think we're all hopeful that Benitez can build us into a top club again. And if he does stay, I think just that that, get, that day is just going to continue every game next season. The fans are really on board and it's going to be a, a positive place to be. And that's what we've wanted for our Mile Football Club for a long time. I don't think we've engaged in a manager like we have with Benitez in a long, long time. And it's just, it's just fun to support Newcastle again, despite going down. It just that doesn't feel like we've been relegated. And it... I mean, I'd rather go down with Benitez than stay up and have another manager. That's sort of my view on it. It's just really exciting to, to have a, a genuinely top-class manager. So I'd say yesterday was definitely the highlight. There have not been many others. Yeah, um, looks like yesterday was your and Dan from Arsenal's favorite moment. Of the <laughs> so we're going to quickly move on from that topic. Uh, on to this summer. You already mentioned that Rafa Benitez, if he stays, he'll probably want control of player movement. Obviously, there are plenty of places um, where you may be losing players. But what positions do you think you'll need to fill this summer to reach your objectives for next year? I think we really need to strengthen our defence. And I think we're going to have to strengthen our midfield uh, just due to player departures. I think Wijnaldum, Townsend, Sissoko will all probably go, as will Teote. And that just leaves a, a massive gap for players that we need in the midfield. As for the defence, we've had a very poor defence for a long time. I think we're going to need a right back and at least, and at least one centre-back, possibly two. I think we're well-stocked in goal at the moment with, with Krull, Darlow and uh, Elliot, I think probably Krull goes, but even the other two would be. T- I think we'd have the best two goalkeepers in the championship if, if we keep both of those. And up front with Mit- Mitrovic and Armstrong coming back, I think we we've got we're solid up there, and there's there's loads of goals. So I think it, it depends a lot on player departures, but I think we need to strengthen the the defence. And if we lose players, we're going to have to strengthen the midfield. I'm not sure on what targets yet. I, I mean, we've probably um, got a, a list of targets for the Premier League, but whether we've prepared for the championship is another question. I'd probably like to see us have a blend of youth and experience, sort of get those younger, hungry players from maybe the championship of League One and blend them sort of some more experienced heads that have been in the Premier League and that can sort of help us get up um, because the championship is a tough league. I'm, I'm, I'm not deluded to that to the extent that we can walk that league and get 100 plus points. I know it's going to be a tough season, but if we if we are committed to going up, we we will do so. I think I think as long as you know the money's there, and we we keep Benitez. I think we'll get, get up quite easily. But it is a tough league. We're going to have to make sure that we get the play, a squad well equipped to deal with that. Uh, but it, it's an exciting time to rebuild the squad and sort of set the foundations for the future with the likes of Armstrong and Aaron's. Both of their chances in the Premier League, but I think in, in the Championship they'll really thrive. And I think it's a chance for for those that that have struggled in the Premier League to to really settle in in England. I think Mitrovic would benefit from a season in the Championship. I think Perez would. Uh, I think Lasales could, could really just develop into, into the Newcastle captain next year. I think, I think he could captain us to promotion next year. I think he, he's a massive part of our future if Premier League clubs don't come in for him because he, he is a huge talent. So it, it's, it depends a lot 
on keeping Benitez. I think if we keep Benitez, the caliber of players we're likely to bring in will, will increase because players will see that it, it's just a year in the championship and and there's a, there's a big chance for success in the future. But if we lose him, I still think we could put together a decent enough squad. Um, I, I think I've looked at the free free agents list, and I think Tom Carroll in particular. I don't know if he is a free agent or not. That, that I've from various sources that says he is, and some say he isn't. But he'd, he'd be a player I'd be interested in. So, All out. So, those sort of, those sort of young, hungry English players mixed with some experienced, like like Michael Dawson. I've re- I wrote a piece for um, thebootroom.com. So check that out. It's the three players I'd like to target. And in there, I've got Michael Dawson, Bradley Dack, who I think was the League One Player of the Year, and Narky Wells. So sort of sort of an experience mixed with young players with a bit of a, um, experience in the championship with Narky Wells. So it's it's not going to be we're not going to be targeting the players we would like. I think we would have been interested in Jetro Willens this summer, um, possibly Lacazette as as we're linked with him all the time. It's not going to be that exciting, but I think we can we can really build a really exciting young and hungry squad that that has the potential to go on and be a, a, a good Premier League side. Yeah, and with those kinds of players coming in, hopefully Rafa staying, what do you think Newcastle's objectives will be next year? I think we have to we have to target to win the league. Uh, I don't think we can afford to stay in the championship for more than one season financially. I think with the, with the squad we're probably going to have, it's probably going to be the best squad in the league. I don't really think the other teams going down are that much of a threat. And I, I think we should, we, we need to target to win that league and get back into the Premier League as soon as possible. Because, because if, if not, I can just see it going badly wrong and dropping down the leagues and we, we can't afford that. So yeah, I, I think we have to target to win the league. All right. Any final thoughts on the season? No, just, I just hope it doesn't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Don't go down twice in a row. That's, that's nah, a that, would be, that, that would be really bad. Yeah. <laughs> it would. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jake, for coming on throughout the season. And and I'm sure we'll be talking soon as we prepare for uh, Euro 2016. Looking forward to it. All right. And now joining us is Richard Burns from Typical City, Yahoo and the Blue Moon podcast. He's here to talk all things Manchester City with us today in this review. So, Richard, we'll start off with just a recap of your 2015-2016 season. Yeah, well, it's been an interesting one. The um, the start of the season for City was absolutely phenomenal after um, a pretty underwhelming season last time out. To start this season with five wins from five, no goals conceded, um, and those wins taking in an absolute thrashing of Chelsea, who at that point were um, obviously the reigning champions and nobody knew quite what their season was going to turn into. That was a phenomenal result and everything felt incredibly positive around City at that point. Um, the fifth game of the season uh, saw them win at Crystal Palace with a, a stoppage time win in which Kelechi Iheanacho came on pretty much in stoppage time and grabbed the winner to um, to break the stalemate. And... Th- just everything seemed incredibly rosy. We had this phenomenal kid who we'd all been um, led to believe was going to be the real deal suddenly come on and within like 30 seconds proved that maybe he did have something pretty special about him. Um, And then came the Champions League and a defeat to Juventus um, that sparked a little downturn in form and they weren't particularly bad that game and there's no shame in losing to um, the previous year's Champions League runners-up. So there was no cause for panic at all at that point. And then they lost to West Ham as well. And suddenly from this 
incredible start to the season where they looked they looked more tactically flexible than they'd been at any point in the last three seasons. Um, and, you know, the new signings like Sterling and De Bruyne were looking pretty exciting. Even Otamendi had had a, a reasonable start. Um, suddenly the, the doubt started to creep in of maybe we were going to revert to type uh, and become the team that we'd been in Pellegrini's second season. Um, and so it proved between, I mean, some of the stats that City have managed to uh, hold on to this season and make their own have been ridiculous. They went from uh, October, no, sorry, from September to January without winning a Premier League away game. The The win at Crystal Palace early in September was their last Premier League away win until the win at Watford in, in January, which is pretty unbelievable for a team that um, at that point remained very much in a title challenge. Uh, they also went from October to April without putting together consecutive Premier League wins, which is just remarkable. I mean, that's that's a pretty bad start for a team fighting relegation. How City managed to do that and hang on to a top four spot was um, it's still baffling and it wouldn't have happened in any other season in my memory because uh, it was just, the, I was going to say inconsistent, but I suppose it was actually incredibly consistent. Um, the period between sort of November um, to March, in which I was taking like the 4-1 defeat at home to Liverpool, the 3-0 defeat away to Liverpool, uh, the loss, the consecutive home defeats to Leicester and Tottenham, and um, they really, really blew apart any chance that City had of winning the league, um, which was, it was really frustrating because I remember saying after the third or fourth game of the season on the other podcast that I do, the, um, the Blue Moon podcast, that you know the host was sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit and saying, God, with this form, we've already won the league, haven't we? And my point then was that, well, obviously they hadn't, but what they had done in those first three, four, five games was give themselves no excuses for not winning the league because they'd proven that they could be you know they'd already faced like Everton away, Chelsea at home, Palace away, Watford at home. That's like four very different tests against four very different caliber of opponents. Um, and so they proved that they could do everything. They'd been tactically versatile across those games, and so we knew early on that anything less than a um, a good title challenge and really winning the league would be an underperformance. Um, and unfortunately, they fell well short. It was clear after the defeat to Leicester and then the defeat to Tottenham that they were never going to get close. Um, and so it proved there was a, a little resurgence that when we bore Myth around March and April, that really started to account for the top four finish. And even though we left that late, um, we just about deserve that Champions League qualification spot. Um, however, they did manage to come good with the League Cup win. It's not the most prestigious trophy that they could have won. But City will never be a club without you know, without a history of uh, cups for cock-ups and just being a, 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 the laughing stock of England for about 35 years. Uh, we can never turn down trophies. And it was a great day out at Wembley beating Liverpool. Willie Caballero quite famously made himself a hero after I spent an entire podcast rubbishing him and telling you that he shouldn't be anywhere near the starting lineup for that final. Um, I think a week was, or so later. It was a good time. <laughs> yeah, a week later I had to come on and say, yeah, no, I was wrong. 
Um, but thankfully, because he was magnificent in that penalty shootout. And so City very happily won the Capital One Cup. It couldn't spark, unfortunately, couldn't act as a catalyst or spark any resurgence in the league. And um, it was at that 3 0 defeat at Anfield, was only four days after that game. Um, and the Champions League has been a highlight, which is strange because usually we're quite good domestically and woeful in the Champions League. And this year has been a, a reversal of that. Um, the Getting to the semi final um, of the Champions League is great for a club that have never been to the quarter final before this season. Um, the win at home to PSG seemed to mark a real, um, a real shift in mentality for City in this competition because they've. They've never really looked. They can handle two-legged football, and they usually look inhibited in the in the Champions League. They look scared of the occasion, um, and the PSG game was the biggest shift in that mentality I've seen. Sevilla away was a, a big day as well, but in terms of the occasion um, and handling the atmosphere and all the rest of it, PSG was huge. They let themselves down against Madrid in the semi-final uh, at the Bernabeu. They needed, well, they were one 0 down. They only needed one goal to shift everything massively, massively back into City's favour, um, and, and you know swing the pendulum, you know the other way to what it had been going for. The whole, you know, they weren't great at home; they were poor away. But all it needed was one goal to just rip it right back in our favour and to blow the tie open. And despite knowing that for the whole game, they failed to have a single shot on target, which was poor and for what has been a good campaign in that competition. It was a pretty meek and tame surrender in the end. Um, and that is, unfortunately, um, now the dust has settled on it all, that's what people are going to remember. Nobody you know, nobody will talk about what an improvement we've made there. It's just the disappointment of surrendering such a big game, realistically one of the biggest in City's history. Um, and they rolled over, and although they were beaten by a good team, they didn't give it as good a go as they should have done. Um, it's obviously the the season in which we've announced the uh, that Pep Guardiola will replace Manuel Pellegrini as manager. So Pellegrini's time is now up. I think that's a good thing. Um, I don't think he's done as good a job as he should have done. I don't think City, over his three years, have been as good as they should have been. I think they have been worse than the sum of their parts or less than the sum of their parts and that's what that's what um leaves a bit of a sour taste in the mouth but by securing fourth place they at least ha- now have something in hand for the arrival of what i believe is the greatest piece of recruitment that city have ever pulled off by bringing pep guardiola to the club i think it's a real game changer and not being in the champions league for that would have been a disaster mm. but now they are and so Although I think it's been an overwhelmingly poor season, uh, the overwhelming feeling of the season, the overbearing feeling is that it's been a negative one. There have unquestionably been positives. And by getting fourth place, they've either achieved the most acceptable form of failure or the least acceptable form of success. I'm not quite sure which one I view it as yet. But um, it's at least a reasonable position to be in for the arrival of Guardiola. All right, so there, there were some downs, of course, this year. What would you say was the best moment for Manchester City this year? It's easy to touch on. I'm going to go for a personal one here, and it's not necessarily the best moment in terms of what it led to, but I'm going for one that was just the most enjoyable because it's dead easy to point to things like um, De Bruyne's goal against PSG or the win in Sevilla. But my most enjoyable game of the season was the 6-1 win over Newcastle back at the Etihad in October um, because it was just good fun. 
And that stands out this season because most of what City have produced hasn't been fun. Mm. There's been a real apathy around the club. Um, I think that's come from the fans as much as anything. They've not. There's generally been an apathy towards what the players have produced. I think towards the manager um, and just towards the club, like when they tried ripping us off with the ticket prices for PSG. And so the 6-1 win over Newcastle just stands out as being purely enjoyable because we were 1-0 down. And then in the 42nd minute, Aguero equalised. And by the 62nd minute, we were 6-1 up and Aguero had scored five goals. And the only downside to that game was that it wasn't more because there were no goals after the 62nd minute. Although Ian Acho did have a perfectly good seventh goal ruled out for offside, which it wasn't. He was a good yard on. Um, De Bruyne scored one of the goals of the season. And the other, I mean, the, the other downside was that Pellegrini was the sort of chief party pooper by bringing Aguero off when he could have become the first player in Premier League history to register a double hat-trick. But um, it was just exhilarating for 20 minutes. And they're probably my favourite 20 minutes of the season. They're not the most important. And God knows beating that Steve McLaren Newcastle side wasn't an achievement in itself. But um, it was just purely enjoyable. I don't know how else to put it. So that's my highlight of the season. Fair enough. Uh, you also already touched on some of the managerial stuff thus far. We've been asking people how they feel about their manager, which is kind of a split question for you because you have an <laughs> outgoing one and an incoming one. I guess kind of give us your take on both, if you would. Well, with Pellegrini, I mean, I you know full well that I've been very critical of him across mm-hmm. the season. Um, I think what I should say and what it's worth um it's worth making a point of saying, really, is that I bear no ill will towards him. I just don't think he's been the right manager to move City on to the level that they should be at. I think he's a decent guy, and I still actually do place some stall on having good people represent my club. And so for that, and for his best efforts, and for giving us three trophies, and for producing in his first year the um, the best football that I've ever seen City play... I am very grateful and I, you know, I'm glad to have had those memories. Um, I just think overall he's been too stubborn. Um, that's manifested itself in many ways. He's been tactically stubborn um, and he was found out around 18 months ago. Teams sort of put a blueprint together to beat City and he's, Pellegrini's never worked around it. He's been so insistent that his style of supposedly attractive football is the right way forward and it's the way to play. But when it's not successful, you have to be able to adapt and he never has done. Um, and his stubbornness has also uh, been evident in his persistence with playing Wilfred Bonny over Kelechi and Acho when like, it's not even subjective Ian Acho has just been a better player he average, he's got a far better goal rate um Bonnie will go somewhere I've no doubt and he will start scoring goals again because he's not a bad player but he's not a city player he doesn't fit into the system at all um, and so quite why Pellegrini persisted with him over a better player makes no sense to me um he's three over his three years he started um, when he replaced Mancini he was absolutely the right man at the right time because he was a, a far more calming influence than Mancini had been. And Pellegrini had to repair a, a divided and broken squad and he did that perfectly. Um, and it progressed to the point that in his, by the time his third season rolled around, he was the wrong man at the right time because it suited City to have a manager in place while they chased Guardiola because that was always the plan 
and they they wanted him before they wanted Pellegrini. Um, and so as long as Pellegrini could deliver the bare minimum of Champions League qualification, then it was okay to have a lame duck manager in charge. Um, so he was the wrong manager for in terms of what City were capable of, but he was the right manager in terms of an easy one to fire. They couldn't have fired him last summer, approached somebody like Jurgen Klopp and then dismissed him for Guardiola. It wouldn't have worked. It would have been a ludicrous situation. So keeping Pellegrini in charge worked in that regard. And as a stopgap, I suppose he's been okay. Um, and history will look back on him kindly because he's won three trophies at a club that has still been trying to get comfortable at Europe's top table. Um, and he was the first City manager to ever win a league and cup double. So over time, I think he will be judged more favourably than perhaps he currently is. Um, as for the incoming manager, I've already said it, I genuinely believe it's the, the most incredible bit of recruitment City have ever pulled off because it seals our status now. We can, Obviously, there's no we can't rest on our laurels, but it confirms that we are at Europe's top table. It confirms that we are to be taken seriously. It allows us to look ahead to real progress in Europe where Champions League semi-finals will not be a novelty, but where they should become the norm, or at least the expectation of reaching them should be the norm and a realistic expectation, where we can perhaps feel that some of the top players in the world won't be joining us because purely for financial incentive, um, but where they will join us because they see that we've got one of the best managers in the world. Paul Pogba, back in February after the announcement, um, was very interestingly quoted as telling um, Sky in Germany that Guardiola is a manager with a reputation for improving every player. And when you see him, you want to play for him. Quite what that could lead to this this summer, who knows? Um, But when big players like that are talking so favourably about your manager, you know that you're in a good position. Um, he's an incredibly meticulous man he's an incredibly tactical manager um, which is something that we haven't seen for arguably for five years I mean Mancini wasn't the most tactical Um, and I think it just moves City on to the next level obviously there's no guarantee of success we don't know where we will you know what we'll be talking about this time next year but it is a truly exciting and a very clear marking of a new era for City um, and it feels like the the culmination of what we've been working towards since the takeover in 2008. Like, we've got our man. This is where we wanted to be. And now we've got to get the player recruitment right because that hasn't been right for a good few years. But what if we get that right, we could see a fairly unprecedented level of success, certainly for our club. Um, and what he might produce in his three years might be relatively unprecedented for England in the modern era of the Premier League, as daft as that sounds. Um, that's something that I could probably go on about for an hour so I'll leave it there and just let people think that I sound stupid because you know United won 20 trophies and all the rest of it but um, I think over a three year spell I think there's potential for a fairly unprecedented level of success for an English club Obviously you'll need some incoming players Yaya Torre most likely to be heading out In what positions do you think you need to strengthen heading into next year? Um there's strengthening required in all of them. Um, we need a better backup goalkeeper, although where that comes from, I don't know, because the links with Ter Stegen at, uh, at Barcelona, um, we've been linked with him for £20 million, and we cannot get £20 million worth of improvement in the goalkeeper area because we've already got one of the best goalkeepers in the world 
there are better, but not £20 million better. And we certainly don't need a £20 million backup. Um, so I, I couldn't even begin to give you the names, to be honest, or who I want as a backup goalkeeper. Um, but I do think Caballero isn't really good enough. Um, fullbacks, I think, will need at least one for each side. Kolarov isn't a very intelligent left-back and, and Guardiola likes intelligent players. I think he's too far gone to make a good defensive left-back out of him. He's, a, he's OK attacking, but we need an, another left-back. Um, the likes of Alaba are probably out of our reach um, because he's so cemented where he is and it would cost an astronomical fee to get him. Um, we're probably going to need a new right-back because we've got two old ones. Um, Pablo Zabaleta is a legend and, and widely loved at City but he's not good enough anymore unfortunately his injuries have sort of put paid to his best days centre-back will be particularly interesting um, the Amerik Laporta deal is a you know we would be led to believe is wrapped up um, there's a lot at stake there or there's a lot to question of is Vincent Company going to be around much longer it's sort of unpalatable to think of him not being at City but you have to expect that with his injury record, 33 injuries since he joined City, five injuries this season, he plays less than 50% of the games a season. Is Guardiola going to be looking to build a team around that? Probably not. Um, Mangala and Otamendi haven't exactly impressed together. I would expect at least one of them to leave. And if it was a betting man, I'd bet on it being Mangala. Um, although we do have Jason Denier, uh, or Denier to come back on uh, from his loan at Galatasaray, and he's generally impressed. He's a, a Belgian uh, international player now, so that might alleviate some of the need to sign, you know, to sign two centre backs. And um, but if we did need a second one, I'd be very happy to go and get John Stones. I realise his second half of the season hasn't been as good as his first and a lot of people would not see him as a £50 million player. But when you consider Pep's reputation for improving individuals and that Jerome Boateng has acknowledged that before Guardiola, he'd never even been taught to defend. He was self-taught. Guardiola turned him into one of the best centre-backs in the world. So I would be very confident about what he could do with John Stones, who has got a lot of potential. Uh, in midfield, Gundogan or Gundogan, I never quite pronounced that right, um, looked like a done deal, but again, he's hurt himself quite badly. So whether City will be willing to invest the big money on a player that you don't know how he's going to come back from injury, that's debatable. Pogba is the dream sign in there. He would be um, the most obvious replacement for Torre. Uh, as I said earlier, he's made some quite flattering comments about, about Guardiola. Um, so that might be a goer but it will be an eye-watering fee. If they're going to try and get that deal done, they have to swoop before the Euros. Because if he were to go and be an, influ an influential player on home soil for France, who might yet, you know, they, they could realistically win the European Championships, his fee will be astronomical. City would be wise to try and get that done before the Euros if they can. Juventus are obviously going to see it the other way and not want to do that deal. So that's a tricky one. And then up front, they desperately need a striker because Wilfred Bonny isn't good enough. Um, Iheanacho is, Aguero clearly is, but they need a third one. Um, there are a lot of very, very good strikers out there at the risk of just sounding like I'm plumping for Premier League players um, or English players. We all know how much they're needed in a, a Premier League squad. I would definitely love City to sign Harry Kane. I'm realistic enough to know that it won't happen. I know that you, Kev, won't want us to take him. <laughs> Correct. But, um, I would. I, he's a fantastic striker, um, and he's more than just a goal scorer. I think he would work wonders in a Guardiola team. I think he's got that intelligence, and he's young enough to be moulded. Um, and so I'd love him, 
So I've not necessarily gone for realism there or what I expect to happen. Um, but if you were to let me have my dream signings, Harry Kane would be right high up that list. But I do think Pogba's realistic, Laporta's realistic, Stones is realistic. Um, so you can allow me one dream signing. All right, and with that caliber of player in, or even if it doesn't happen, this year obviously your goal was Champions League. You got very far in that, although I'm sure you didn't want to drop as much in the league as you had what will be the objectives for Pep Guardiola's first season? Winning the league, first and foremost. I know a lot of people place more value on the Champions League, but to me, the Premier League is the biggest. It's your biggest test because you play all of your peers. You can get through the Champions League without doing that. You can get to the semi-final without playing one of the best teams. So to me, the Premier League is always the absolute priority. Um, and I think the club do still see it that way. I think there's an acknowledgement within the club that the Premier League perhaps isn't best set up um, to support its teams in Europe. I think we've seen that with uh, all the other semi-finalists were able to play on a Saturday. City were made to play on a Sunday before their uh, before their Champions League semi-final second leg. We don't have a winter break. The merits of that are widely debated. I don't especially want one. But at the same time, I acknowledge that um, not having a break mid-season does give an advantage to the other countries where their teams do. So I don't think a huge emphasis will be placed on the Champions League. I think quality of performance in the Champions League will be given more substance than progression as such. I think quarterfinals this year would be very acceptable. Um, but I do think we can expect to see an improvement in general performance and mentality in the Champions League. Um, I think they've got to look to they've got to look to win the Premier League. Um, that'll be the, the main thing. They'll want to add a domestic cup to that as well. They've not had a good FA Cup run for quite some time now. So yeah, I think aims and objectives, win the Premier League, be better in Europe, but that's sub- completely subjective because I think performance is more important than um, what round you go out in um, and a decent run in the domestic cups. All right, well, thank you so much for uh, helping us throughout the year and we're glad we got to speak to you a whole bunch and look forward to next season. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. All right, and now joining us is Steve Magukin. He's been on a few times talking about Northern Ireland, and of course we always devolve to talking about Spurs as we are both huge Tottenham Hotspur fans. You guys have listened to me talk about Tottenham, if my math is right, 76 times this season. I thought it might be good to get another voice in here to talk about them uh, with me here. Uh, So Steve, first of all, uh, welcome back. We're just going to start off with our recaps of the season. Obviously, it was a great one for Tottenham on the whole. There were some ups and downs. The end wasn't as much, it wasn't as great as we would have liked. Uh, but yeah. what were your views on this season for Tottenham Hotspur? Well, thanks, Kevin. It's good to be back. Um, I think the first the first thing I'd say is congratulations to Leicester. I mean, the table the table doesn't lie, and their consistency throughout the season I think actually makes them worthy champions. They um, they won when they needed to, and they, they ground out the results that mattered, and, and particularly the one they'll win that they had uh, at the lane in the middle of our two FA Cup ties. So, you know, let's get that off the board, first of all. First of all, fair play to them. Uh, but, you know, we give it a go, even if we find ourselves in, in what was an increasingly unfamiliar position as the, as the second half of the season drew on. And I think, you know, we'll talk a little later, I think, about specifically what happened in the final game. Um, but the fact that pretty much the consistently best defence in the Premier League consist, conceded more goals in the, those final four games than we had done in the previous 14 games 
speaks volumes, really, doesn't it, of of how the occasion got to us. And I think that was certainly that was certainly the case in the Southampton match, where we we just couldn't find a way to get back into it after they equalised. And and Southampton are a very good team, so that that was never going to be a game that that we could take for granted. But we didn't, we just couldn't seem to motivate ourselves to get back into that game when it went to one one. But uh, I mean, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the ups and downs and the pros and the cons, and and, and even if they even if they seem pretty distant right now, I think there, there were there were a few good things to take from the season as well. And I think that it's it's unfair to judge the season just on how we feel after those last four games, and even worse to judge it on how we feel after after the Newcastle game because you came away from that game thinking, my God, the season's been a failure, and it actually hasn't. It hasn't been a failure in in so many ways, but um, since I've identified that the sort of last four games as our obvious undoing, um, maybe I could also just point to uh, some key games earlier in the season where maybe if if things had broken a little more favorably for us, things I think would have been would have been different. Uh, obviously, we were we were unlucky to lose that opening game at United, first game of the season, but we we played really well, and then even if it took you know three or four more games to get a win after that, you could you could see something was coming together and the team was starting to play for each other. But for me, if if you think if you think back to the two draws against Arsenal, uh the home and away draw against Arsenal, the loss at West Ham, and and what for me was the worst of the lot, the 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 last kick of the game loss at home to Newcastle. I think for me that's the images, that's the memories that I'm sort of left with. I'm trying to look beyond um, just the Newcastle game. I'm trying to look beyond just the collapse in the last four games, but it's very, very hard to actually see, you know, how, how the season just didn't spiral into those last four games. Do you know what I mean? I, I agree that it is a tremendous season that leaves a very, very bitter taste. Two points from the last twelve available yeah. is is just not acceptable for a no. club this size. Now. Pochettino has already mentioned it. Like you said, the players were on the beach. Kane said that heads dropped as soon as we were out of the title race. But they dropped before that. We didn't come back against West Brom. didn't know what the results would hold when we played Leicester. Sorry, when we played uh, Chelsea, rather. Which right. ended up winning it for Leicester. We were up 2-0 in that game. We, exactly. We should yeah. have still been up for it. The theory that we crumbled after we lost the title hopes is really yeah. the story of how we kind of gave up those title hopes the two previous weeks. Or, or we literally just let the occasion get to us. I mean, we, it, it, and we'll come on and talk a little bit about what we need to do next year. But I think one of the things we absolutely have to learn is game management, and we're just not good at game management. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's just literally if we if we want to be taken seriously as potential champions, we have to be able to to ride out games like that and sit and put them to bed. And we're just not good at it at the moment. Yeah, and but to. to kind of bring it back to a happier place. We finished third, automatically qualified for the Champions League. We were going to be in pot three regardless. It's not like we dropped from pot two to pot three because of the last day of the season. It was always going to be Leicester in pot one. Arsenal and City are going to be in pot two. We'll be in pot three. That wasn't going to change. But the fact that we've automatically qualified, we don't have to play someone like young boys. (laughs) This was the youngest side in the Premier League all season. It was never particularly close. Uh, Yeah then you do have to temper expectations a little bit because Walker, Lamella, and Dembele all had their best years in a Spurs shirt. Kane, you know, it feels very similar to last season. He got off to a rough start, but he finished hotter than he did last year. So that all kind of balances out. 25, golden boot winner. 
No, I just yes, Harry, absolutely. I mean, what a, what a great achievement it is for for any Spurs player really to to get the golden boot. And and but the thing about Harry was even when he's not scoring, he contributes so much on the pitch. I mean, he runs so so much, he works so hard, he tackles back. You know, he's actually he's um, probably our best midfielder as well, as well as our best striker. So you know, I wasn't too worried the fact that he he wasn't actually scoring the goals. Uh, I, I I was never one of one of the people who were writing him off, but uh, but it's a fantastic. It was just a confidence thing, but like you're saying, he was still contributing in plenty of other ways. Um. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, it, it was never the most concerning thing. We do have a guy that comes on this show plenty, Dave Hendrick, that I'm about to start a new venture with. Actually, uh, we'll talk more about that as the time draws near. Who said that he thinks? That with Kane's idol being Teddy Sheringham, that eventually maybe he'll prefer being in a bit more of a second striker role and that we might see that in the summer. Do you think that that might be a shift we'll see or do you think he's going to stay as a nine throughout his career? I I can't see that shifting for now. Again, it depends on who we bring in, if we bring somebody else in um, to do that job. But I, I, I can't see Potch using Harry in any other role than, than the straight-out uh, number nine. I can't <laughs> Hard see to change the- him after scoring 49 goals in his first <laughs> two seasons. <laughs> maybe don't mess with what's working right um, yeah. an absolutely valid point so you and i have both talked about the ups and the downs that happened this season mm. so let's let's try to reverse it to just one moment what was your moment of the season for tottenham well uh if we're going to talk about goals uh i mean obviously the alley goal was was a very special goal and, and match of the day just uh this weekend named that their their goal of the season Hard but to for not me be. <laughs> For me, for me, actually, I think the the goal I enjoyed watching most was Lamella's goal against Manchester United. The Lamella goal, even though it wasn't a particularly spectacular goal in and of itself, but just the manner in which he hit it, the manner of the confidence that he knew as soon as he hit the ball that it was going in the net, that was kind of the the complete microcosm of that game. And I do think... For me, certainly, of all the games I watched this season, that performance against United at White Hartley, and that was my moment of the season, that whole game. Just literally everything we did was beautiful football. It was flowing. It was um, visionary. Ericsson had a wonderful game that, that day, as I remember as well. And, and it was one of those games where it just kept getting better and better. And for me, that was, that was kind of the apogee of the season. I, among many, will shift over to the manager now, uh, kind of had wished that Pochettino had been a bit more animated in that Newcastle match. By the time it was frustrating was the time it was too late. Yeah. Um, but obviously, Mauricio Pochettino done tremendous things for us this season. The players were all starting to believe. The fans were buying in. Everybody keeps talking about together Tottenham, right. where the fans and the club and the ownership and the manager and the players, it all feels like one unit, although a little bit of distrust has been sown with that last performance. Mm-hmm. But he's done some great things. What do you think of Mauricio Pochettino's tenure at Tottenham? Oh, so far I think everything's positive. I, I'm really overjoyed that he signed the contract extension. And I I, I think you can't extrapolate too much from that one game. Uh, but... What worries me again is his inability to sort of get the, the, the team to to manage the games in the final four uh, contests of the season. That's what worries me more than anything else. And I don't think there's an issue with our fitness. I mean, a couple of people have said, oh, we ran out of steam. And, you know, players like Ericsson were, were kind of, you know, shadows of the player they had been earlier in the year. I'm not sure it's it's entirely down to that. I think 
you know, if, if the players can't motivate themselves to win at Stamford Bridge for the first time in God knows how long, or, or to, you know, finish above Arsenal for the first time in, you know, God knows how long again, uh, then the manager needs to be able to harness something else uh, as a motivating factor. But generally speaking, I'm glad we have him. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of that lunch with Alex Ferguson, but Fergusy, Fergie obviously told him to stay at a big club. It was really interesting reading Pochettino's quotes about that lunch, and, yeah. and it, it made him sound kind of doe-eyed yeah. um, <laughs> getting to meet Sir Alex. But I, I agree. He's done phenomenal things. He's taken significant steps forward in things that were previously flaws of his. Um, yep. And it's it's culminated in the five-year contract, well, quote-unquote, because we're just keeping these rolling contracts. And then the other side of it is five Tottenham players named in the provisional squad for England. Mm-hmm. So yeah. everything everything is, is projecting up. <laughs> there are some players, <laughs> maybe not so much. Uh, we'll start off with you with, with players that you think might be on the way out before we, we get into the <laughs> holes that need to be filled. What, what players do you think might be on the cutting block uh, this summer? Part of the part of the problem that Spurs have had is that if you look at our starting first eleven, you pretty much wouldn't change any of them. I mean, they're they're pretty much as strong as you're going to get for the for the team that we have. But once a couple of them drop out of either suspension or injury, the the strength and depth of the squad is probably not as great as we would like it to be, mm. and that necessitates changing things around a little bit too much. So so yes, on their way out, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, was that the last season for Tom Carroll? Do we do we give him another season? I, I I honestly don't know. I think an awful lot is going to depend on what players are going to be available to bring in. I mean, every every player in the squad should be uh, susceptible to to being upgraded. If you don't think that way, you're not thinking positively about how your squad develops. Um, I think a lot depends on who else is out there that we could bring in who would be a significant upgrade to the players that we have. Um, I think he'll keep Mason, uh, even though, as you and I have said in the past, Mason's no Dembele. Um, <laughs> but true. but I, I, I like I like the effort that he brings, and I think Poch does too. Um, Clinton the G, I'm I'm still not convinced of, and likewise with Josh Onoma, who I've, I've liked when he's been on and had a couple of very nice touches. But you know, who knows? Who knows whether. And it's it's terrible to you know to talk about young players this way that that we may not be seeing their full potential but it's yet. All we have, <laughs> but that's that's my point. Yeah, I mean, who do you you know if if you bring somebody else in who's an established European player or an established Premier League player, is that the road we're going to go down, or is it you know is it going to be more bolstering the squad with younger uh, Championship players perhaps or? Um, you know, I don't know what the scouting, how good the scouting network is overseas, but maybe that might be uh, options that we we bring in younger players and bolster the squad that way, and just re- really you know rotate players through. But I don't know. It's a it's a it's a it's an interesting one, and we we probably won't know until well probably until after the Euros. Mm-hmm. See if anyone makes a um, makes a significant impact in the Euros. I mean, <laughs> you and I have talked in the past, and I know with your uh, analysis of the of the Dutch national team, you're a, <laughs> you're a big fan of Wijnaldum. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if he's going to stick with Newcastle in, into the championship. But, uh, I mean, he might be a player that, that could bring something to our to our lineup. Yeah, he might lack the prerequisite give-a-damn that Pochettino <laughs> uh, 
uh, requires from his players. But very yeah. talented player. And, and if he's a player that you are bringing on to spell Erickson, there's definitely uh, talent yeah. there for sure. Um, while we're talking about Dutch players that didn't fit their teams at all, Jeremy Lenz, the second that Big yeah. Sam showed up, yeah. was never yeah. going to work. Because he is a yeah. flair player through and through. Pace and flair. That's what you yeah. get with him. And pretty sure Sam hated that from the moment he walked in the door. <laughs> Scored some lovely goals for them this year. He did, huh? including on the final day. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I will be a little less kind than you were to some of the players in okay. our current squad. I think Tommy Carroll is gone. I don't. Yeah. There's not a point to him being in the side anymore. He was the golden boy of our youth academy for ages and was so busy patting himself on the back that he was overtaken by three different youth central midfielders in Bentaleb, Mason, and Onoma. Yeah. So there's just very little point. Um, I think Mason was the point of that lost trust comment. Because you have to have had trust in them to have lost it. Mm, then you see the stats: five Mason starts were yeah. five losses. Yeah, yeah. And and he 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 crumbled. He really did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forget who mentioned it, um, but somebody uh, came on the show and was mentioning that he is like an excited puppy around the ball. Like <laughs> if you've ever watched for our British listeners, YMCA is like a. a uh, hmm. I don't know how to describe the YMCA, but it's where a lot of kids play their football slash soccer <laughs> here in the States. And when you put the ball down, every kid on the field runs towards it. <laughs> That's kind of what happens with Ryan Mason. Although I, I don't think a statistical analysis there is really quite fair on him because, I mean, I, I think, let's be honest. You think it's more indi- indicative of who we're missing than him being in? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think we're a much, much better team with Dembele than, than anybody that you could put in to replace him, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, Dembele obviously had an incredible year, but I think that, that the Mason issue is a big one. And if mm. you believe rumors, which always grains of salt at all times, yeah. but if we can get a Livermore-esque deal for him, somewhere between 8 and 10, mm. I think you take it. I, I don't really see great value there, but that would require shifting our focus from Mason back to Bentaleb who had previously looked like he was on the way up. Right, right. One of them is going. I don't know which one. After yeah. yesterday, my guess is Mason. But again, grains of salt. Yeah. I think Nasser Chadley could have his head on the chopping block, which, yeah. is, which is unfair to an extent. It is. Because yeah. he is a very match speed player. Absolutely. He does not work as a substitute. He needs yeah. to, because, because of his physicality and his pace, he grinds down left backs. Mm-hmm. And when Sun is out there being less than terrific, <laughs> well, I, th- I think I think Son just needs a run of games. He, and I know we said this earlier in the season. I just do think he needs a little bit of consistency. I don't think he works as a sub for ten, fifteen minutes. I think he needs to, as you say, he right, needs. But to neither be- of them do. Yeah, which is a very big problem for squad building. Yeah. Because I agree, but I don't. I don't know if there's a place for both of them going forward. Obviously, you give Son the benefit of the doubt. I have been a little harsh on him. I mentioned in what October or November when he picked up his plantar fasciitis injury mm. that that does not just go away. Right, right, right. So I, I'm willing to give him like a 20 percent boost in benefit of the doubt yeah. that that has been impacting him all year, and it may have been why some of his first touches were so poor. Is mm. if that's causing him pain and he's retracting his foot from the ball? Maybe. That mm. that could be a thing. I'm not saying it's what happened, but I'm pretty, you had it right. I did. I did. Yeah. I could. I could barely walk for six weeks after after yeah. it went. Yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't just miraculously. Oh, you're fine now. 
Oh, it never, it never, never truly heals. Right. Well, um, unless it snapped. I, I forgot there was like, yeah. there was an athlete. Um, I forget which sport it was in. And he purposefully jumped on something with all the weight on the front half of his foot to snap it so it could be fully repaired. Oh. Which sounds like the most painful thing. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, because because they don't replace, they don't fix it for like minor tears. So he this wasn't a this wasn't a gridiron star, was it? <laughs> it may well have been. Yeah, I was going to say it's like the sort of thing that somebody like that would do. Yeah, but um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, what a what a goal Sonny scored for for us against Southampton. I mean, that that should have really been the, the catalyst and for us to go on and just well. take that take that game by the scruff of the neck, and we couldn't we couldn't do it. And I think that was you know of, of all of those four games. I'm sorry to keep coming back to this, but those four games at the end of the season were disappointing in different ways. And I think that one was mm. because you had a couple of very good individual performances of which Son was one, and we couldn't capitalize on them. And then Stephen Davis scores too, which well, I'm sure we it, weren't expecting. Keep it for France, Stevie. Keep it for France. <laughs> um, I did see some people thinking that they think Ben Davis may be out as well. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't see it just based on how much him and Trippier were trusted earlier in the season when yeah. we were doing a true rotation, and both yeah. of them were fine. We're, neither were terrific. I, I, yeah, I like. They're Trippier, both more one-dimensional. Like more than I like Davis, I'll be As honest. With you. And and I I don't I don't think Davis is the best defensive left back, but I like him going forward. But he's less good at going forward than Rose. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so exactly. he's he's more of a true backup than Trippier. Even though Walker had a, a a terrific year, you know, Trippier is arguably the best crosser of the ball at the yes. club. So yes. you you got to take that in and factor it as well. <laughs> I, I said at the beginning of the year that I, I kind of wished that we hadn't signed him so we could sign Jan Mott this season, um, <laughs> which ends up looking possible, but I don't think it is. I, I think no. I think we have bought in on Trippier. Oh, I, I'd absolutely take Trippier over Jan Mott any day of the week. Impressive. <laughs> Especially considering what we saw yesterday, but we'll move on. Um, <laughs> we'll move on to uh, players uh, and positions that, that we need to be strengthened. Yeah. Um, for me... Obviously, we need a second forward. Mm-hmm. I, personally, as Kevin DeVries, do not believe that we will sign Mishi Batshuayi. That having okay. been said, people that know a lot more than me, from a France standpoint, from a Belgium standpoint, and from yeah. a Spurs standpoint, all think it's likely. Huh. I don't see it. Allegedly, we're in the 20 to 25 million range, which isn't surprising. It's what we were offering for Berahino. It feels like that's our cap. Mm-hmm. I think he goes for more than that. Uh, I, I was talking to Andrew Gibney, who's been on the show talking about France and, and women's football in the past. Yeah. And he was saying that as far as the needle is pointing, that it is pointing further to Champions League football than minutes, which mm-hmm. is a very interesting distinction because that pretty much rules out West Ham, which mm-hmm. I thought would have been a really interesting counterplay. If everybody was assuming he was going to go to a Champions League club, you go to West Ham, you've already played with Payet, you have infinite minutes, you grow there. Mm. So people are thinking that that could happen to Tottenham. I'm a little more hesitant. I think Callum Wilson, who has been bandied about, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. in the big media, but in the small Spurs media, oh. is a very interesting one. It sounds doable, especially coming off the injury. I don't think we have any interest in Berahino anymore. No, I think I, that, that is gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as far as I know, I think that's the case. And also, I mean, what do you, what do you think about the possibility of going back in for, for – uh, Dembele at Fulham, the other the other Musa Dembele. <laughs> Musa hashtag two S Dembele. Because yeah. um, well, 
Dembele's are belong to us. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Osmana Dembele, who, by the way, we could have signed before last season, uh, has now joined with Dortmund. My right. my opinion on 2S, first of all, is an apology to Fulham. Because mm-hmm. my point is, if you wait until the summer, you won't get any money for him. Because he's on a quote-unquote free, but it's it's one of those deals where they'll get compensation because of his sure. age. Like uh, Danny Ings got this year with a tribunal. But them holding on to him, the point of that was for them to stay safe. Yeah. And he scored enough down the stretch to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. So credit to them for you know refusing the short-term money to guarantee their championship status. It right. worked out better than I thought it did. So I retract some of the hateful things I said during <laughs> January. You're never hateful, Kevin. <laughs> I do my best to not be. Um, I, I don't know if that's the kind of player we're looking for anymore. Obviously, we're always looking for young, talented players. But if if we're looking at the Bashuais and Wilsons and Berhinos, which I don't think we are, but if we're still in that group, I I don't really see the point of bringing him in if we're intent on keeping NG. We brought right. in NG knowing he was pacey, decent in finishing, and crazy raw. Right. None of those things have been disproven this season. Correct. But it's still what he is. The question is, yeah. is that good enough for us? And right. if that's not good enough for us, Musa 2S definitely isn't. Yeah. But if NG moves, it would give a slot for him to come in. We'll see. My shout for that kind of player is Timo Werner, who we were really interested in last summer. He was having some issues with the manager. Now Stuttgart just got relegated. Really like Timo Werner. Can play on the wing, can play as a forward. Didn't score the goals you'd expect from him this season, which is a large reason why they're going down. So don't think he's blameless in that. He's not one of the victims of relegation. If anything, he was one of the causes of it. Mm-hmm. But he's an incredibly talented young player, was dealing with external things. I think that would be a really interesting option if we're going for that, not first striker, not second striker, but that kind of third striker wing forward that we can develop right. um, going forward. But again, all of that is based on whether or not we keep NG. Yeah, absolutely. I've been yeah. saying that we get Axel Witzel all season now. I can't see it. Is it I can't <laughs> see it. You can't see it? No. I'll, I'll tell you, if, if it's done before June 10th, <laughs> I think it's at like... 70%. Really? Starting hmm. June 11th, yeah. which for those that don't know, is the start date of the Euros. <laughs> then it's out of the window. Because yeah. It, it, yeah. it will change the price from 15 to 18 to 20 to 25. Yeah. And then that yeah. immediately takes out because we as Tottenham can afford one marquee signing this year. Right. right. We aren't going to get two. Yeah. So if we somehow do get Bashawai, again, I'm not sure. Other people think is pretty yeah. sure. We wouldn't have the money to go in for someone like yeah. Witzel. But we clearly need uh, 26 or 27. He's he's a little bit above our, our the gap that we're aiming for age-wise. Yeah, I was going to say, because you remember when the, the uh, British papers had that story about <laughs> Lalana Potch. Lalana <laughs> for 20. I mean, you and I just both basically said, no, there's no way we're going to do that. We just wouldn't pay 20 million for a 28-year-old. Right. Even though I, I, I've always liked Lalana, and, and I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that Potch actually does want him. But uh, I, I just suspect, Kevin, that, that we will get somebody big, sort of semi-big in, but it will be someone that we don't know of right now if yeah. you know what i mean it'd be somebody in like serie b or something like that yeah well like everybody was complaining that we didn't go out like when everton signed funas mori i remember mm. a lot of people being like oh well you know we brought in paul mitchell he has this black book of prospects why right. didn't we sign any of them and then you look at midway through the season when vimmer and trippier were both starting in our right. back line right. those were two of them like we did do yes. that 
So uh, I, I definitely see the point of that. Um, but I think central midfield is a position that needs to be addressed just to push everyone back a notch. Yeah. Right. So yep. you have Dembele, you have Dyer, maybe. If you bring in somebody like Witzel, it pushes probably mm-hmm. Dyer to the second team where he can truly be a backup for midfield, center back, and right back, which we're losing mm-hmm. some of the value by starting him every day in defensive midfield. He has done a tremendous job, especially for his first season. This is not a knock on Dyer in any way, but he can't do it in both competitions. Mm. So, mm. you don't you you think he may be able to? In I, I think and it's, he's certainly he's grown into that role as the season has progressed, and he's he's basically uh, he's the white knight that England have been looking. For. But yeah, I mean, I, I I think if if he's comfortable playing where he is, then I just you know play him, <laughs> just let him play every week in the position that he wants. All right. Well, <laughs> if we're doing that, then we need a center back. Because my yeah. solution was to have him at both. So in, in order of need, I'd say second striker, central midfielder, right-sided center back, and winger if we get to it. If there isn't a good winger on offer, we shouldn't get rid of Chadley or Son. We can yeah. just give them another year. That's fine. But if there are better options, I, I, I just think that that could, yeah. be, uh, that could be something we would do. Maybe one other position that uh, that we might want to look at is uh, is goalkeeper. Is actually bringing in. Mm. Uh, I don't know how Luke McGee is progressing or what the situation is there, but if we wanted to let Vorm go, I mean, if there was a, a, another good young sort of you know backup goalkeeper that we could bring in, uh, it might be a an opportunity to sort of recycle that position a little bit. Yeah, sticking to what I know, Gerald Zouet. Also a PSV. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Um, now we're going to go on. And now that we've discussed players that might be going out, players that might be coming in, how much we already like Potts, this is all going to culminate into what do you think will be our objectives for this season? Right. Well, uh, one very, very basic ob- objective is to understand that a season is 38 games long, not 34. Secondly, we need to get the psychological aspect of our game management strategy uh, nailed down. We we still lack the ability to put games to bed, especially when we're up one or two, uh, and we're not ruthless enough when we go a goal up. So I think if we can change the psychological approach of the team to actually, I don't even think it's just self-confidence. I think it's just the the learned ability to manage a lead that we seem to have lost sight of recently, um, then that would be the big, that would be the big plus for me. All right. And that is it for this Spurs review. Uh, Steve and I obviously both care a lot about Tottenham and uh, may have gotten a little long winded there, but thanks for uh, sticking with us through it. Steve, thank you so much for rejoining us. Uh, It was great having you back on and we look forward to talking about the Euros with you. That's it for today's show. Thanks again to our guests for joining us. And if you'd like to follow them on Twitter, you can find Jake at Jake Jackman with two N's, Richard at Richard the Burns, and Steve at Steve Magookin. We still have plenty more reviews coming your way throughout the week, so we hope you keep listening.